Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Today we are talking about the album New. So, Chris, just straight off the bat, New, what do you think? It's pretty much late McCartney. It sounds a lot like the albums that came right before it. In fact, this album has a sound and a feel that I would trace all the way back maybe to Off the Ground. Mm. So Off the Ground, yeah, well... I think there's a big reason for that. And as we dug in on this record, I noticed, you noticed this too, that Off the Ground is where Paul McCartney had access to his studio, The Mill. And uh-huh. and a lot of this music was recorded or touched up or cleaned up. I mean, The Mill shows up in a lot of these records. I think The Mill has this very distinct sound for not having a distinct sound like there's kind of a transparency to the whole thing it mm-hmm. almost sounds like a demo studio and mm. i mean i hate to say this right at the top of the episode i don't know if paul is too comfortable in that studio i feel like you get better records out of him when he's somewhere else well you get good records out of him at abbey road but you yeah. would think that would be a super comfortable studio right well, maybe consider context. To get to Abbey Road, you have to cross the crosswalk or take the tube or take a taxi. I see. The mill yeah, it is, is a out. bit like going to work. You're going to work. You have to, you're mentally preparing for that. This is just a windmill studio mm. on his farm. Mm. So, in terms of the songwriting, there's something about this late period McCartney stuff that seems a little too consistent. I've said it a few times now. We first started talking about this back, I think, on Flowers in the Dirt, right. where the albums become pretty consistent. And there's no song you can point to as a, just a terrible dud, necessarily. No. It's just that there's something a little ordinary about a lot of the songwriting. Mm. It sounds very singer-songwriter-like, yeah. starting around this time. I was going to text you about this. I, I wanted to try an exercise where I was going to take all of the records, starting with Driving Rain and put them in a playlist, and then start just getting rid of all of the, like, the worst stuff to try to get it down. I'm like, can I turn this into, like, a late-era Wings album or just, like, one mind-blowing late-phase Paul McCartney record? And believe it or not, I could not do it. I was hmm. like, eh, no, I don't want to delete Caesar Rock. No, you know hmm. what? I'm going to leave everybody out there on there. I think that's kind of fun. Uh, uh, when you have hell to pay between Happy With You and House of Wax, you're like, yeah, this is a good, this is interesting. Hmm. And so I think that goes right to what you're saying, where the craftsmanship is still there. The workmanlike quality is still there. Is he making any huge artistic statement with this music? Probably not. Well, the problem I have with a lot of this stuff is that it sounds like you know, I said singer-songwritery. I mean, it's it sounds like something a lot of songwriters could do. Right. Maybe we'll get into some specific examples, but I just hear ordinary guitar chords and 
ordinary chord voicings and melodies that are sort of safe tunes that are just notes plucked from the chords. It just sounds like a songwriter, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have that whatever special magic that we used to get Eh, to me anyway. Right. Special magic. Mm. Are, Are these songs enjoyable? Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. Was I actually pleasantly surprised at Spinning New for the first time in several years? Yeah, I was. I, you know, the first few tracks, they fly by and you're like, wow, this is good music. I will say that reviewing for this episode, I found that this album was at this point less familiar to me than Egypt Station, since that's new and so to speak. And I've been (laughs) listening to it a fair amount and it's been in the air. People have been talking about it, whereas new had faded a bit in my memory. Right. So a lot of it almost didn't feel like review. I'm with you with that. I remember looking at the track list at the B side of the record and being like, what? How does that one go? You know, normally if you look at a McCartney track list, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that song. Okay. Maybe you discover a few little flourishes about the production or even like little lyrical things down the road from an album you know really well. But this is like, I don't even know. How does Scared go? Some of them I feel that way about even after listening to a few times, though. Mm. And that's my problem. A lot of this stuff is, a lot of this late period stuff is just not memorable. While you're listening to it, it's perfectly fine, I guess. But yeah, doesn't really stick in the memory, and I don't find myself dying to go back to it. So right. there's a reason that New was unfamiliar. I haven't been listening to it much since 2013. Mm. Regarding the contemporary inspiration, McCartney acknowledged that the album had been influenced by his marriage to Nancy Chevelle, about which he said, this is a quote, this is a happy period in my life, having a new woman, so you get new songs when you get a new woman. Great quote. He felt that (laughs) new was generally joyful, but with an undercurrent of, quote, pain getting changed to laughter. You know, to your point about all these songs sort of sounding similar. Is it hard to write a new song? Quote, yeah, a bit. Only because I've done so much. You got to do something different after having done 5,000 things. How can you be different? I follow clues. And then I've heard in interviews where Paul, actually just for Egypt Station, where he's like, okay, the first thing you say, I always get the first line. And then you go, "What what do you mean by that? Explain yourself. That's kind of how Paul is writing songs these days, and maybe always has, where he lets his subconscious give him the first bit, and then he, almost like a therapist or an interviewer, gets information out of himself. Well, I wish he really would do something different, but I can bet, for example, and Hosanna, and things like that, they suffer from a lack of differentness, (laughs) it seems to me. Yeah, Hosanna, I turned that one on and I'm like, what is, it sounds like that Liverpool song that he didn't release, except with less memorable hooks.
So this album was released October 14th, 2013. It was recorded January 2012 to March 2013 at several studios, Henson Recording Studios in LA, Avatar Studios in New York, Abbey Road, AIR, and Wolftone Studios in London, and then The Mill, as we previously mentioned. What is maybe the most fascinating part of, about this album is that you have four producers, Giles Martin, Paul Epworth, Mark Ronson, and Ethan Johns. And this had started, Paul was doing songs with each of these guys to test them out, but he ended up just liking all of them. So it's an album with multiple producing partners. How do you feel about the multiple producer thing, Chris? Well, we're back into flowers in the dirt territory with that, right? Right. So we get a few different kinds of sounds, and yet there's a sameness. I'm surprised that really the Mark Ronson songs are the ones that stick out to me as kind of different from the rest. Yes. Whereas there's a sameness to the rest of them. There's a kind of a range from the really modern sounding stuff like Appreciate to the Ethan Johns stuff like early days. But there's a a consistency across the album, which was true of Flowers in the Dirt as well. Right. So that's no small feat to work with four different producers, or in the case of Flowers, I think it was more than that, and still come up with an album that has the right track sequence to smooth over the differences between the production styles. Mm -hmm. Plus, in this case, we have an executive producer, which is Giles Martin. So we do have someone kind of overseeing the whole project. Right. Well, he's definitely playing the George Martin role. He's playing his dad's role. If you look at Giles's production discography, it's not a lot of pop stuff aside from Beatles material and maybe like a George Harrison record or something along those lines. Like it's, it's, it's very much like his father. Whereas the other three guys, I mean, these are contemporary pop producers. Epworth worked with... Florence and the Machine, Plan B, Adele, CeeLo, John Legend, Bruno Mars, Lord, Lana Del Rey, Foster the People. I mean, these are big pop names, you know, around yeah. this era. Ronson, I mean, he's probably my favorite of the whole bunch. He's Adele. I think so. Yeah, me too. Estelle, Duran Duran, The Black Lips, mm. Little Wayne, Rufus Rainwright, Bruno Mars also. Lady Gaga. Yeah, it's all... It's all... Interesting people, yeah. And then Ethan Johns is kind of like the, dare I say, hipster of the bunch. He produced this band called The Vaccines, who I really love. Their, their record, Come of Age. And then The Staves and The London Souls, Laura Marling, Paolo Nutini. I mean, you can check all these... Dis- I mean, I don't know if we have time to talk about all these producers' discographies, but... One way to get to know these producers and the roles that they played on New is to watch the DVD that comes with the deluxe version of New, which was, I believe, released at the same time as the L- as the original LP. Uh-huh. And you get interviews with all four of them, and you get to see them interacting with Paul, and they explain a little bit what each of them is bringing to the project. Yeah, that's a very interesting watch. Anytime you want me, I'm not hard to find. I can't get you loving, I can't get you off my mind. But if I need you sometime, you got me here right now. We can work it out. This is McCartney's final album with Hear Music. 
we know he ends up going to Capitol after this. And I think he had, you know, we had some success with Memory Almost Full. He keeps expanding upon this, and we'll see as we walk through his discography here. He's really trying to make a play for the charts again, whether that's with these collaborations with these young producers, even more hip than the last record where it was just the guy that worked on Driving Rain. Kanye comes in, Rihanna. There's a lot of collaborations that Paul goes after in this period. He brings all those stars in for the uh, Queenie Eye video. Do you know, I saw that video. Alan Partridge, you know, that fictional character by Steve Coogan, he put out a movie of that narcissistic radio DJ that everybody loves in England. Oh, he's a character. And so before the movie starts, kind of how you'd see a cartoon before a film back in the day, that video played. And I did hmm. not really understand what I was watching. I was like, what is, <laughs> what is the point of this music video? Yeah, I'm Paul McCartney, and I'm very famous, and I called all these famous people, and they're in my video. And by the way, this is in Abbey Road. Well, it's all like a dream, too, right? It's like he was summoning them all somehow in his imagination. Yeah. It was all a dream. Yeah. It's always all a dream. That's back to Broad Street. Broad Street. <laughs> I wish the tapes were in the back of that music video, now that we think about it. <laughs> the, the glowing blue tapes. You don't think Harry will go and do a stupid thing like that, do you? Yes, I do. Ready to do one? All of that said, this album peaked at number three on the UK albums charts, and it charted in the Billboard 200. We'll get into that a bit. Another success. Yeah. Is this the state of the music business now, where it's just the old guard is on the charts? Or do you think this is a real success? I mean, these aren't successes on the scale of his 70s albums. Yeah. They're not selling like that, right? I so don't they're successes so. in the context of the current music business where nobody sells records, but they're not successes like Band on the Run or something like that. Right. We had, I mean, nobody makes any money off of records anymore. It's all streaming. Yeah. And I think the funniest part, if you if you go to Paul's Spotify page and you see like what are the top streaming songs for McCartney, and it's, you know, well, I mean, right now it's cr- wonderful Christmas time. It always pops back up. <laughs> but the first the first one is four or five seconds. And it is like oh. hundreds of millions of streams. And then the next That's... song is Band on the Run with like fifty million streams. Right. <laughs> and it just drops off from there. So it's definitely a new era, pun intended. I mean, we I gotta mean, stop doing that. I guess Mark Ronson was the DJ at McCartney's wedding, and that's how he got involved. Right. And Ronson 
got a call from Paul to produce with him and Ronson was getting married and I guess he like almost didn't get back to Paul in time. Got my own wedding to DJ here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll call Paul back when I can. So does that mean we're going back and catching up a bit before diving into new? Yeah, I think we should. Where would you like to start? Well, let's start right after Electric Arguments. For so long I was out in the cold And I taught myself to believe every story I told It was fun hanging under the moon, heading into the sun But it's been too long Now I want to come home Came so close to the edge of defeat But I made my way in the shade, keeping out of the heat It was fun shooting out of the stars, looking into the sun But it's been too long, now I want to come home So we will start with a soundtrack song I want to come home. Well, this is a good song. This is a great song. I really actually. Yeah, Paul's in very good voice here. Yeah, and it's essentially a Paul solo record. Director Kirk Jones asked Paul to write a song for his movie Everybody's Fine, which stars Robert De Niro. And in the film, they had put Let It Be, covered by Aretha Franklin, in the scene they wanted the song in. And Paul's quote is I can write another Let It Be. And I can sing like Aretha Franklin. And so he went back in the studio, started to work on this song. And then I guess Jones changed the verse sequences. Paul accepted the criticism and even changed some of the lyrics. And the song went on to win a Golden Globe nomination. For so long I was out in the cold but I taught myself to believe every story I told It was fun hanging on the moon and into the sun But it's been too long Now I want to come home Yeah, it's been too long Now I want to come home spectacular yeah recorded over the period of two months or so june and july in 2009 at hog hill and air and i bet air is all that string stuff it's on the record i don't remember hearing a thing about it at the time me neither i didn't see the movie uh everybody's fine who's in that again robert de niro kate beckinsale if i told you i saw the movie i would be lying to you this would have made a great contender for new you know, yeah, is, oh, definitely. If I look up Everybody's Fine here, it's a mediocrely reviewed mu- movie everywhere online. Yeah. Drew Barrymore, Beckinsdale, Robert De Niro, Sam Rockwell, who's great. And you had said, who is the composer? That was Dario Marianelli on the orchestrations. Not familiar with his work, but did a good job on this. 
Yeah, this is a really, really excellent song. Well, I noticed when I went to review it for the show that I couldn't even find it on iTunes or anywhere. It was no. only on YouTube. The lyrics about coming home and just every line in that song and like the chord progression. Like if, if you really pull apart the chords, like these are your Paul McCartney chords you're, you're looking for. There's weird yeah, this, minor definitely. and major substitutions throughout the song. And this is a Paul McCartney melody I'm looking for, too. Right. Ringo's back for his album Why Not. There's a song called Walk With You, which is written by Ringo and Van Dyke Parks. How about that? Yeah, how about that? What do you think? It doesn't sound very Van Dyke-ish to me, except for the very beginning with the strings and mandolins. Yeah. For a moment there, I think, oh, I'm in for some Van Dyke Parks here, but then it just sort of turns into a regular record. Kind of an unremarkable song, but cool vocals from both Ringo and Paul. Paul was just going to play bass on a song, Peace Dream, which is on this album. And they ended up having Mecca do the background vocals. And they sound really good. So this song was also, there was a four-track Beatles EP that came out in 2014 called John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I remember getting this thing. And so here's the track list to that. One is Love by John Lennon. Two is Call Me Back Again, which I believe was like the reissue mix at the time of that song. Three is Let Me Down, and track four is Walk With You. Hey, well, that's all right. That's not a bad little EP to get from the Beatles. And this was released as a single, right? Yes. Another fine entry. 
So does that bring us to Meat Free Monday? Uh, unfortunately, it brings us to Meat Free Monday. <laughs> I don't have a ton to say about this one. Yeah. I mean, maybe we just let it play. It was a free download on Paul's website. And it, it's from this period. It's a mill track. You can tell that it's a mill track. And it's like almost kids music. But is it protest music? I don't know. And it's happening all around the world. So yeah, that's Meat Free Monday. Then we've got some. This is this is this is a pretty good one. Cut me some slack, which Paul called a Nirvana reunion, which is borderline insensitive, but it's like pretty funny. It's from Dave Grohl's film Sound City, and its soundtrack. And Paul's on the what's it a cigarette box or something guitar, cigar box guitar, and you have Dave Grohl. And the rest of the guys that were in Nirvana, I guess. And it was performed at the 12-12-12 Benefit Concert. Released December 14th, 2020 through YouTube. And yeah, it's a a jam featuring Paul and the surviving members of Nirvana. I mean, that's a pretty cool little nugget right there. So then I guess somewhere in 2010, Paul started working on Halo music. So there's a bunch of like instrumental Halo music in the video game that Paul McCartney is responsible for that I couldn't even really find. It's a 50-minute suite that tells a story within the story of the Halo game. I'm not much on video games these days. I used to be. Apparently he was trading music with the other composers. Yes. There were two other composers. And it's hard to tell the extent of his involvement. Maybe he just sent themes. Or maybe he actually dug in. I don't know. I mean, kudos to Paul for jumping in on the video game bandwagon. I think that's very, very smart. But the best part of the whole thing is that we get the song Hope for the Future. Bungie, the company that does Halo, more or less asked Paul to do a song, and he did. And it's there's like this amazing <laughs> music video. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is pretty cool. This is actually a really good vocal. Really struck me. I believe the whole thing's double-tracked, which is fine, but it really sounds like he's in really good voice on this. And I think the song itself is reminiscent of things like once upon a long ago and through our love and maybe even the title track tug of war with the big orchestral sound you know and the kind of grandiose song some hope for the future some wait for the call 
say that the days ahead will be the best of all. We will build bridges up to the sky. Heavenly lights Yeah, and so this song was not in Halo. It was in a, in a game called Destiny, or for a game called Destiny, which is the same company, Bungie, and Activision was involved, the company that made Call of Duty. I mean, these are big title video games, and so Paul is obviously making a play to maybe get some downloads or some exposure through Xbox or PlayStation or computer, however you consume your video games. I found digging around on this track that from about two minutes to two minutes and 18 seconds, that little section is from an unreleased song that Paul demoed with George Martin in 84 called Kiss Me Now. Have you heard this song? I haven't heard the song, but that little section, if you play it, and maybe we can play that for everybody, it's that to me, that's what I'm looking for in a Paul McCartney song. All right, let's hear it. We believe hope shines brightest in the dark when nothing's ever seen. Lighting undiscovered places no one's ever been. So that part, it has these soaring melodies that, you know, Chris, you're talking about multi-limbed phrases where this whole little section it you have to listen to the whole thing for to get the whole idea of the melody and like that's that's the mccartney magic so this was released on an ep by itunes in 2014 so a couple years after it was recorded and this is the first appearance on a mccartney record of giles martin that's right he must have liked working with him on this track maybe he felt his old demo had been honored Giles had done all this good work on the Beatles stuff. Yeah, I'm going to try this guy out. And he ended up, you know, as you said, executive producing new, which we'll come back to in a second. Song certainly has a big George Martin sound. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He's bringing back Dad's yeah. sound a little there. Yeah. And it's one of these late era McCartney songs where kind of like, I want to come home. We're like, wow, this is a great track. Why is this not on an album? Or... You think of how good Live and Let Die is, but I know you don't really love Live and Let Die. I think Live and Let Die is crazy. It's a good record. I mean, it's in a cool arrangement. My point would be, is when he gets these little assignments, he like focuses all of his energy on completing the task. And then you get something a little above what might be an album track. Mm. And maybe that's why I'm like, oh, why wasn't this on the album? Well, it could have never been on the album because that wasn't the assignment. Well, I'm noticing that about his vocals, too. That when he appears as a guest vocalist, he seems to sing a bit better. Hmm. <laughs> when you're doing all of the instruments, as we'll see on a lot of these records, I mean, there's some band performances on new. Probably takes a lot out of you. 
Because I think he challenges himself as a singer a lot in his songwriting. Right. And some of the things he's guesting on, he can do pretty easily. Right, right, right. Things were nice in California. Loved our trip out to the coast. Did I say your mother phoned us? You are my best love. I guess that brings us to another gem, Paul and Steve Martin on the song Best Love. Yeah, so the song's written by Steve Martin, and it's an excellent little song. Nothing fancy, but it's a really good little song. This is from his album Rare Bird Alert, which is a great title, released in 2011, March 15th. It is a great title. (laughs) Rare Bird Alert. Yeah, and this one shocked me when it came out. I was like, really? Paul and Steve? I guess. I guess that makes sense. Well, and this is to what I was just saying about Paul as a guest vocalist. Sounds good. Steve Martin's lyrics, just like his books, are so (laughs) thoughtful and warm. It's like, I would love to hear more Steve Martin and Paul McCartney. Just do a whole record together. Definitely, yeah. Things were nice in California. Loved our trip out to the coast. Did I say your mother phoned us? You are my best love. There's an honesty and a warmth to these lyrics that I really enjoy. It's like, and I'm going to really go off the deep end here. It's like when Shatner, all of that Shatner music that he did with Ben Folds, where you're like, wow, William Shatner is a great lyricist. He just needs like a good producer behind him. I feel like this is that same sort of thing where you get the comedian, and most comedians are... You know, they're not necessarily nice people or emotionally well-adjusted people, but if you get them in the right context, they really have a lot of feeling and empathy and compassion, and it comes out on this record with Steve Martin, for sure. Great instrumentation, too. Rare bird alert. So yeah, before we get to new, I mean, there's a big chunk of time between Memory Almost Full and new, five or six years here. So what was Paul McCartney doing? So Paul... Put out Memory Almost Full, did some touring on that. There was like 16 dates between 2007, June, and 2009, August that he did. And then Good Evening Europe Tour in 2009, did eight dates there. So he's on the road. He's playing, playing, playing. Then the big up-and-coming tour, which I'm sure a lot of you caught, Paul, on that one. He played 42 tour dates between March... In June, March 2010, and June 2011. From there, he went June 2011 right to July 2011 until November 2012, the On the Run tour, where he played 37 more dates. So from 2010 to the end of 2012, I said 80 tour dates, 
It's a lot of work. Yeah, and he plays those epic three-hour shows, you know? Yeah, I think they're even longer now from what I heard from the new Egypt station tour dates. Wow. So Paul is doing a lot. And then on top of that, I know you're all going to be like, wait, why are you skipping over this album? Kind of like Run, Devil, Run. We'll get back to this. Right. Kiss is on the bottom. So this is an album that was released February 2012. So right in the middle of the On the Run tour. He's dropping yeah. another covers record. This guy's nonstop working. I think he's in pretty good voice, too, on Kisses on the Bottom. We will come back to yeah. it. But. Yeah, that was the record recorded at Capitol Studios. I mean, <laughs> I actually have a real soft spot for that record and the Run Devil Run record, which I think is why we're going to do this covers episode. You know, do you really want to know the in and out details of my very good friend, the Milkman? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well... I know people are chomping at the bit for Abracadabra, though. Yes, we will definitely talk about Impartial to your Abracadabra. But for now, we're just trying to give some context to how much Paul was on the road at this period. So January 2012 hits, he's in the studio, then on the road through March 2013, like we said at the top of the episode. Right after he's out to the studio, March 2013, Paul hits the road again for 91 tour dates for the Out There Tour, May 4th, 2013 to October 22, 2015. 91 tour dates. Upwards of 200 around tour dates just in this whole little period. Paul's just playing, 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 playing. Obviously in good spirits, has his well-oiled band, but can do the solo McCartney thing. And he enters into the studio and churns out this record. So shall we start? Let's do it. Save us. Track one of new. I can try to give you everything you ever January 2012 to March 2013, and a lot of the recording dates I found, like they, it's not really quite specific except for dates here and there. Basically in London, Wolf Tone, Queen's Park, and AIR, and then Henson and Hog Hill. Basically all of the studios. This is a Paul Epworth track, and the best part about these Paul Epworth tracks is that they weren't written. No, there were no songs when they went into the studio. They were just improvised. And yeah, apparently Paul Epworth sort of pushed Paul in that direction immediately. Nah, I got some ideas. Let's, well, let's fool around in the studio. Yeah, so I guess they were working on some kind of guitar bit here for Save Us. And then Paul Epworth was like, why don't we try it on the piano? And Epworth said, you know, it was a big reveal because all of a sudden he's doing the piano in the, as he was like the McCartney voicings, very specific mm-hmm. way Paul plays these chords. He's like, that was it. This is it. So they got the track and he's like, okay, <laughs> do a vocal. And Paul said to him, he's like, how can I try? There's no song. <laughs> so he's just making a lot of these lyrics up and writing it in the studio. 
I guess given all that, it's not bad. Absolutely not bad. And that whole, you're my woman, keep it coming. You got something <laughs> that can save us all. Like, how? It's really great. It reminds me of Wings. Yeah. Battle and that'll is a nice rhyme, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. This whole record is just Paul solo. And then Epworth is on the drums, which, you know, we'll see him back on the drums and on another track. I like this as an opener. Yeah, it's a good high-energy rocker to start the album. Paul debuted this song and the track Everybody Out There at the third iHeartRadio Music Festival. So I remember hearing those in some kind of bootleg form way back when and thinking like, oh, these these two songs sound like Wings songs. Is it's going to be a more Wingsy record? I mean, I think it is. I could see that, yeah. Kind of a time to hide, beware my love type feeling. The choice of instrumentation. You have the aggressive guitars and the, like Epworth said, the the piano phrasings and just like kind of the energy of the track. But that little, yeah. the whole bass flourishes that he does. Cool way to start the album. They were originally yeah. going to start it with Queenie Eye, but this one broke through and became an opener. It's not one I really go back to, though, is the thing. Well, I listen on vinyl a lot, so I spin all these songs. And I, the issue is not whether I skip them, but whether I pay attention, whether I'm checking email. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably checking email during Save Us, but I still like it okay. It's a good, it's got good energy to start. Yeah, it's, it's good. I want someone to come home to. I need somewhere I can sleep. I need a place where I can rest my weary bones and have a conversation not too deep. Someone setting them free Someone breaking the chains Someone letting them be So from there, the second track is Alligator. I think this is an interesting one. This is a Mark Ronson track. Enter Mark Ronson. And so they taped this on the original McCartney four-track machine. And then Paul's using a TC Helicon on the vocals. And so that's what, there's Kanye again, what Kanye uh-huh. uses on a lot of stuff. And so uh-huh. you, that's where you hear all the, like the production things that are going on in the bridges of this song. What do you think of Alligator? It's among my favorites on the album. Seems that Mark Ronson's a good pairing for Paul. A really good pairing. Yeah. I, I wish it was all a Mark Ronson album after hearing this yeah. song. Yeah, this track has some interesting instrumentation on it, too. He's got a Play Me a Song book, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is a nice touch. Adds a little glockenspiel. Yeah, and so you have Paul. You also have Rusty, Brian, Wicks, and Abe. So the band guys are in there in the studio, giving it that live feel, which mm-hmm. kudos to Mark Ronson for pushing them in that direction. And then just lyrically, everybody else is busy doing better than me. What an insight into his mind. And, you know, you, you read on these interviews, or at least I did, where he's like, you know, you're working as hard as you can and you're trying to turn in the best product, and, but you look out there and you think the other guy's doing better than you. I was like, dude, you're Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you even worrying about? This is Paul again with the simple chord shapes on the guitar. 
Right. He shows in the video how he came up with a song, just looking for a different shape, and came across something. He really just kind of moves it around. It's actually quite interesting musically. Like Harmonically, it's a little unusual, and that becomes the basis for the song. So my question to you is, I need somebody who's a sweet communicator I can give my alligator to. Mm-hmm. Is that a dick joke? Uh, it, it's, I took it a little bit that way. <laughs> is that too forward to say you're gonna cut uh, this out <laughs> I, no i mean i think it's reasonable actually because i did have that thought and i figured it could be that and also more generally my dark side or my primitive side my reptile sure side. the shadow yeah. self totally but then you know how paul will like sneak in like how the beatles are sneaking in tit in tit 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 oh, girl okay, yeah girl of, yeah, yeah. I think this is him doing that again, but yeah, it's the the stem of your brain is the reptilian side of your brain. Who can you give this maniac monster to? It's also a dick joke. <laughs> Could just as well have been Salamander. Hey. But then that would get him into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good one. I rem- I remember this one. It stick- sticks in my mind. I think he's saying something interesting, unlocking some, you know, finding the key, all of these visual images. It's good. It's really good. On my way to work, I rode a big green bus. I could see everything from the upper deck. People came and went, smoking cigarettes. Right, enter Giles Martin. Enter Giles Martin on my way to work. And so, yeah, we were, we did mention that, talking about when you go to Abbey Road, it's like going to work. So this was at AIR, Henson, and Abbey Road. There's no mill here. This is studios in big cities. And I think this is a great track. I wish it went a little faster. Okay, I can hear that. It's a little draggy. Unlike the things on Chaos where they took fast things and slowed them down, this would have been an opportunity to take a slow thing and pep it up a little bit. Like a eat at home kind of production? Yeah, I could see this having a little rockabilly feel to it. But I think this is basically a good song. I like it. Yeah, it is. So it's about his pre-fame past, alluding to a time where he worked as a driver's mate for speedy prompt delivery in Liverpool. So he was the second man, meaning... The other guy was the driver. He was the guy that kind of handled the deliveries. First man. Yes. And so he, Paul also worked as a coil winder. And he would ride these big green buses, always on the upper deck. 
always had a cigarette, a ciggy as he called him, getting on to work, clocking in. And I think that Paul mining these periods of his life for songs is great. I love when he does this. I think you always get a good song out of him when he does that. Mm, beautiful guitar sounds on this. Oh yeah, the guitars are great. That must be Martin then. Or I guess so. Is it's... it the famous Abbey Road sound? Who knows? I don't know. It's a huge sound though. I love it. The title came from a Damien Hurst picture. You can look that up online to check uh, that can't, out. You can't show it anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. We can try to show it to you on this podcast, but I think it may not translate. And this is Paul and the band. Right. The Macca Band, as I've come to call it. The Macca Band. And with, uh, with an 11-piece orchestra. And Paul's on the cigar box guitar. So like you saw on Memory Almost Full, he's got a new little toy and he's playing it wherever he can. I had an interesting thought. And I want to see what you think of this. So in my little fantasy world, this is the rest of the song Paul started for his section of A Day in the Life. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that in terms of subject matter. Yeah, subject matter. So maybe that yeah. part is the intro, or maybe he could have combined these parts, you know. Woke up, got out of bed, da-da-da. You know, because he catches the bus at the end of that. Sits at the top, and he goes into this dream. And then the song starts, and he's like, on my way to work, da 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 He got this magazine, and he's in the bus again, so we're back to kind of Beatles-type inspiration. Now, this song, Queenie Eye, is based on a game we used to play when I was kids. As you've got to remember, that's a long time ago, and basically in a kind of poor area I was from, what you did to entertain yourself was go out in the street and play street games. Um wasn't that much traffic, you know, so you were pretty safe. And one of the games was called Queenie Eye. What used to happen is one person would turn away from us and throw a ball over his head, which one of us would catch. And then we would say, Queenie Eye, Queenie Eye, who's got the ball? I haven't got it. It isn't in my pocket. O-U-T spells out. And when we said out, he could turn around, he or she could turn around and look at us and try to work out which one of us had caught the ball, which, of course, we all pretended to have behind our backs. Anyway, so that was, uh, I just like the rhythm of Queenie, Queenie, who's got the ball. So I ended up uh, in the studio and we made it into this next song. Here you go, Queenie. T spells out. Queenie I. And that's out. <laughs> yeah. You've been texting me that stuff <laughs> for the past week or so. And it gets funnier every time somehow for me. 
So I take it you love this song. I do like this song, actually. Yeah, me too. I do. Yeah, I think this is a wonderful song based on this children's chant from an old game he used to play. Right. I, I couldn't quite make sense of the game. I heard him explain it a few different times. It was sort of sort of an odd, odd idea for a game. Yeah. So it's based on a game he used to play as a kid. And this is what he said. What used to happen is one person would turn away from us and throw a ball over their head, which one of us would catch. And then they'd say the whole Queenie Eye, Queenie Eye, who's got the ball? They'd do the whole rhyme. And they'd turn around on out. O-U-T spells turn around out and try the to work. What kind of game is that? <laughs> well, it's, well, like you said, it was low income families, Chris. Well, try That's Red Rover. Or something. This you know. is England in the <laughs> 40s and 50s. They turn around and out and they try to work out which one of them had caught the ball, which they all pretended to have behind their back. So it was like a body language reading thing, like who actually had it based upon how they tossed the ball behind their head and then what they heard. Sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> it's, an, it's a great little song. I'm not sure what it's about other than the than the game, I think it has some other implications. The chords would seem to imply that, it, I mean, the chords sound very, at times ominous and at times grandiose. Right. Which makes an interesting contrast to the, to the nursery rhyme-like rhythm of the, of the chorus. Right. Thoughts about the deeper meaning of the song? I love the lyrics of this song. And you're going to have to cut me off because I'm going to just go on and on about it. In the end, it turned out that I had to do it all by myself. He's talking like, you know, he's looking for advice and then he figured out, oh, I just got to take this on me and I just got to do it. And that's, I just think you see that over and over and over again in Paul's story. This is one of his, like his habits where he's like, oh, well, you're not going to do the string arrangement for me on She's Leaving Home, George Martin. Cool. I'll find somebody else and I'll get it done. I'm going to get this done myself. And all the times he's like, I'm proving my need to be right and all that. Like this is his defiant side. I think this is the best example of this. Because this is another one of those songs where Paul was saying like, oh, Epworth, he tricked me in the studio. Like he wanted to start on a jam and it was cheeky of him to get himself on the record by playing drums. <laughs> so Paul had to write this in the studio. And then this whole verse, life's a game, rags from riches, dogs and bitches hunt for fame, difficult to know which way to turn, lay the blame on the snitches, wicked witches fan the flame. Cool little rhyming there. Careful yeah. what you touch in case you burn. This here's the Heather Mills. Screw you. Mm. Sounds like it might be also a little bit about the minefield of fame. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. And maybe that's what the video's about. Is that the? Oh, interesting. We <laughs> we just figure it out. We just apologize for it at least. So this one might blow your mind that I was thinking about too. I was just in the car thinking about this. O-U-T spells out. That same thing is in Christmas Time is Here Again. O-U-T spells out. That Beatles Christmas thing. Oh. 
Oh, so he must have been thinking about the same thing then. Yeah, maybe. Maybe this is them just... Because we've seen in some of these other songs, they're thinking about their childhood. Well, it's in, probably in John's childhood, right. too, yeah. And then finally, it's a long way to the finish when you've never been before. I was nervous, but I did it. Now I'm going back for more. This is a great song. Every time this one's... I mean, he still is playing this song live. If you look at the set lists, he's still dragging this one out. Watch the music video. Tracy Ullman's in the music video, and so she was in... Yeah, well, he was in her video yes. back in... I love yeah, that they don't, song, They don't know too. about us, and it's a great song. I love that hey, one. Hey, there's an excuse to play a little bit of that song. That's and it's a, Paul McCartney related, so I'm going to play a little bit of that song. Take a listen. So moving on, talking about the Beatles' childhoods, track five, early days. They can't take it from me if they try. I live through those early days. So many times I had to change the pain to laughter just to keep from getting crazy. Dressed in black from head to toe Two guitars across our backs We would walk the city road Seeking someone who would listen to the music That we were writing down at home But they can't take it from me This is Enter Ethan Johns. I love this one. I really do. This is definite supposed to like territory for me. Okay. I, I don't care for this one. Yeah, it, se- it seems like one of those one of those sentimental gestures that it's supposed to work for me because of what it's about. But I just don't think it's a very good song. I like the edginess to it, where he's thinking about John and him in the record shops listening to early rock and roll and looking mm. at posters and... The joy that he had, and the fact yeah, that there's some nice imagery in the lyrics. Yeah, and and how he's like, he couldn't take it from me if you tried. Everybody has their own opinion of who did this and who did that, but as for me, how do they know I was there? And when he says when they weren't where it was at, you know where it was at. I mean that's like the epitome of cool. You know, well he knows where it's at, man. This yeah, good little songwriting tricks. And I really love the fact that Paul's using his voice as it is. Mm. And Paul, it's the first vocal take. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, shouldn't I clean it up? And Ethan Johns had the balls to be like, leave it. Let it be what it is. Yeah. 
And I don't think you would have Confidant if you didn't have this song. I think Confidant is an improvement over this idea. Okay, all right. I like that song a bit better. Well, it's another vulnerable song about Paul thinking of his early days, which, you know, we're really starting to see on some of these records, and why wouldn't you? I think that thing about the singing, though, you you have to be careful with that, right? And it's only occasionally that something has that raw edge to it and you decide not to redo it. But often it can become an excuse not to redo it, right? Sure. So I don't know. It works okay here. But I think Paul has used that mindset a few times when it wasn't justified. Don't tell me that it sounds painful or has a nice edge. I need a, de- a decent vocal on this. Right. <laughs> you know? I like the video. Where I he... do like the video. But this is one of those videos where you're like, yep, this is this can withstand the test of time this thing this is cool yeah it's a great video i really liked it i was moved by it all those old players and yeah. well just check it out everybody you know it's a podcast don't crash your car looking for the video but <laughs> when you're safely parked or at a stoplight check that out and also this last thing i'll say may sweet memories of friends from the past always come to you when you look for them and your inspiration long may it last may it come to you time and time again now, how can that not choke you up just a little bit? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, there you go. Well, anyway, that brings us to the title track. Title track, new. Don't look at me, it's way too soon to see what's gonna be. Mark Ronson, just knocking it out the park. Or at least for me. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a diet Penny Lane or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it is. But it's fun. And the whole don't look at me. I haven't got any answers, you know. He's in love. And and I think this is from Nancy, obviously. But then Paul wrote it on his dad's piano, which he now has as his home in London. So I think there's just like a lot of emotion. And his dad was, he's a Liverpoolian guy. And they have this kind of sense of humor, like, don't look at me. I don't know. I mean, all those fun <laughs> phrases from Jim Macca, right? Yeah, right. So I, I think it's a perfect set of lyrics. And what, this is a solo record, save for some overdubs? Or is this a band thing? This is mostly a solo record, but he brought the band in for the acapella at the end. Oh, right little daytime nighttime suffering it's a lot like that right well it worked last time <laughs> yeah it worked back in 78 or 9 or whatever it is let's try it again i think it's nice and having the horns come in at the end of it like that it's a nice ending 
I think it's a really cool song. It's a really cool song. It, 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 it there is a sense of of it being not quite self-parody, but it's got a bit of that English tea. I don't mean it's similar, but I mean it's mm-hmm. that same kind of self-pastiche. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, yeah, for I'm, sure, I'm for doing sure. a Paul McCartney thing here. <laughs> I think he gets away with it here. It's a good arrangement with the horns, not just at the end, but uh, other places they appear in the track. And uh, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot too. I guess this sound is indicative of Mark Ronson's new but retro kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. His whole Amy Winehouse thing. Right. Let me toss you this one. So Paul, by the time he's working on this record, he's involved in doing the archive editions. So, I mean, what, it's 2012, 2013. He's done a few of these Wings records, and I think he's kind of reinvigorated by some of that material. Because you've heard him in interviews for Egypt Station, where he's like, oh yeah, we're working on Sgt. Pepper. And that's why there's all these harpsichords all over Egypt Station or some of the Mm. Beatles feel. I think we're getting the Wings re-injection because, I mean, Band on the Run, what, that came out 2010, 2011, something like that. Yeah, And then Venus and Mars came out 2013 or 14. I mean, shame on me for not knowing the dates. (laughs) I'm trying to get to the point that... This really cool Wings era stuff is getting injected back into this subconsciously. Well, I remember it coming out in September of 2013. Me too, yes. Yeah, and I put it on my phone right away. I was taking the train at the time, so I remember listening to it a lot on the way down to the train. I'd listened to it a few times in a row. I thought it had great energy and it. Well, I guess it goes back to memory almost full when I was really excited about ever-present past. It was a bit like that. Same. I have the same sort of sensation and feeling. I remember doing the chords and turning them into Maca Central, being like, I got the chords! Like, I did them as fast <laughs> as I could. I wonder if they're still up. I should check that. But that, like, really cool, was it like a 13th chord or whatever the hell it is at the beginning, and I have to look just how he spells the whole thing out. Boom, 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 boom. I still listen to this song all the time. And this is, like, evidence, proof positive that this is, you know, this is obviously one of my favorite artists. If he can still churn out stuff like this. So if you flip this record over, B-side is this track Appreciate, which is a Giles Martin record. And so I love this story. Paul brought in some tape loops and Giles had this idea. We're like, why don't we take these tape loops and make a big verse out of them? Paul gave him a look like, you're so boring. (laughs) Like, I've done this a million times, man. But... It explains like the whole, because I didn't really get this track when it came out, and I'm curious to hear what you think, because this is actually one of my favorites on the record now, is that 
they just took a chorus from another song, cut that out, used the chorus, and then these verses were just based on these tape loops where Paul is like singing these, it's like half spoken, half sung, dare I say rapping slightly. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool. I just love how the chorus hits. What do you think of this one? I dislike this one. Yes. Let's yes, finally. I've been waiting for another standoff. Well, it's not going to be a standoff. I don't dislike it enough to to, <laughs> to, to, to fight about it, really. <laughs> but it's one of the ones that I would I would prefer to skip. I don't know if it makes sense to call something faux modern, but faux you is a bit that way too. Okay, where it sounds like Paul just doing something that kind of sounds like it might work on the radio at the time. Yeah. This feels a bit that way to me. Yeah, I definitely, definitely felt that I mean, way. It's not very McCartney-like to me. It doesn't. Where the Where's the McCartney aspect of this? Couldn't you just substitute another vocalist, and you would never have noticed it that it was McCartney? Well, you could argue that that's the trouble with a lot of modern pop. Well, and with a lot of late period McCartney too. Right. I didn't love this song in 2013 or 14 or wherever. Paul going for the air quotes sonic or sonics, however you want to say it, of the time. And I just thought the verse was drawn out. And he's doing the that little hook, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's like, why is he repeating it so many times? Until I learned how they made the track, where it's tape loops. So I think that's Paul kind of delivering for what it is. He didn't plonk some chords down. Those are loops. I think a really interesting verse for that assignment and then kind of trying to put a hook in, because maybe he's like, why isn't the chorus hit yet? I'm a little bored. Hmm. But then that chorus, she said, blah, 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 like, I think that that's uh-huh. awesome. Well, maybe I need to revisit it with what you just said in mind. And it has one of those music videos where you're like, I can't tell if this is the worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> or the best thing I've ever seen in with my the, whole life. With the robot, yeah. Yeah, the human zoo or the human museum. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's dancing with the robot and Paul with the Hoffner and the Moog in the background and all of his gear. <laughs> and he's like, wait, 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 wait. Is Paul's fantasy of himself that he's been frozen in like a human robot museum and that's actually him? <laughs> I just, I didn't understand the mess. I didn't get the message. I don't know what it has to do with the song. I guess the, he seems to be that robot's sort of pet human in a way or sort of human friend and for some reason he's allowed outside of the yeah sort of human paintings that make up the rest of the museum or maybe he's just a visitor i don't know what it is but yeah i revisit that one every once again and i'm like hmm am i meant to appreciate this so to speak i'll give paul bonus points on this one just for it i mean it's balls that i think that video is ballsy So, moving on to everybody out there. This is a Martin record. And like I said earlier, this is when he, when he debuted early at the iHeart Music Festival. And Paul did this whole thing in six hours. He's like, hey, that's the Beatles pace. We did that pretty <laughs> quick. Some of McCartney's family is on the chorus. 
Oh, the hay is... Yeah. Okay. And it's a good B-side material for Paul McCartney album. It's supposed to be a like an arena anthem. Right. Hey, everybody in the whoa thing, you know, so he, he says it himself. So I guess that's where the tour got its name, out there? That must be. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't connect that. Okay. Yeah, because it's out there, exclamation mark, right? So everybody out there. This seems like a straight rock song to me. Nothing to write home about. Nothing to get hung about. With like some Mrs. Vanderbilt chord nods. Yeah, that's true, actually, now that you mention it. The whole A I mean, that's not just Miss Vanderbilt. That's sure a million songs, the A minor, sure, E minor sure. stuff. But. but the hey, too, you know? Right, 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 right. Hey-ho, yeah. I don't know. Maybe write into us. <laughs> Does the audience actually participate in the oh, oh, oh? Because I haven't experienced that and, yet. And that, oh, 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 that always makes me think of Sometimes a Fantasy by Billy me Joel. Me too. Me too. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and I would much rather listen to that song than oh, this definitely. one. can't say I care for Hosanna too much myself. A little draggy. Yeah, this is the first time where I'm listening to this record where I just was like, cross this one out. Like, I I appreciate where you're coming from. Like, Rolling Stone said this could have been on the McCartney album from 1970. That doesn't make any sense. And that doesn't make any sense. This is another one. Substitute a different singer. Can you tell this is a Paul McCartney song? No. Because I've, I've played people leave it just out of the blue. Like, who do you think wrote this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they immediately know that it's Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. 
I'd rather talk about Leave It for the next couple of minutes if you want. Like, man, that would have been a great Band on the Run single, huh? Oh, man, what a great song. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Folks, you can listen to Hosanna and you can talk about the, the tape loops from an iPad and all that. Or just go listen to Leave It a few times. That's my advice. <laughs> it's based on an acoustic guitar recording, I believe, that made a big impression on Ethan Johns. Yeah, Paul brought some songs in. I guess he played this one on acoustic guitar. And it is, the edit we have here is between the first two takes. Like it's another one they did quick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to slag off a song, but I, I don't know, I just... Ethan Johns is a big, like, take the first couple takes kind of guy, huh? Yeah, hey man, that was it. We're done for the well, day. Sometimes it's true, yeah. If it is true, why deny it, I guess? Yeah, I would actually go as far as to say that's in, like, the lowest tier of Paul McCartney music for me, period, that song. I cannot say that about the next song, I Can Bet, which is a Martin record. And I think there's a great energy to this one. You have the Wurlitzer on it. You have the little Moog riffs and flourishes on there kind of a yeah. fun set of lyrics it's kind of a paul solo record except for the addition of some guitar and organ yes toby Pittman on programming i love that when people are on programming <laughs> the guy that's mapped out some midi part for some software synthesizer or hardware listen to me we can give it a try i'll look you straight in What I'm going to do next, I'll leave entirely to your imagination. Cool. Really sexually charged this whole album, which I think is pretty rad. And so when I was digging around about this song, there were reports that Paul was having like some throat problems. Hmm. And apparently like he had to have a surgery. I guess it was one of those tracks where he wasn't like entirely happy with his vocal and he redid it or overdubbed it. I wonder if he had a vocal node. Maybe. That happens sometimes when you're like straining a lot. I know that we've kind of been a little hard on Paul for his voice, but I think a lot of this stuff sounds really great. And maybe that surgery helped. Maybe that's why this and a lot of Egypt stations sound so great. Maybe he has done some training or maybe strengthened his voice. Probably not, but... Well, it's another straight rocker. It does have a decent vocal. Lyrics are pretty pretty straightforward. Again, it sounds like a wing song to me because mm. of the whirly and all that. Uh-huh. Very Venus and Mars era-esque, but with like an updated veneer. Cool track. If you ask her how it's done, she won't know. It's like trying to catch the sun on the water. She tries to explain, then it happens again. Everybody's looking. 
How do you feel about looking at her, the next song, track 11? I'm curious to know a little more about how this was actually made, being recorded on an iPhone. I think it's a pretty cool little song, actually. This is uh, it's one of my handful of favorites on the album. It has a McCartney melody, it seems to right. me. Right. Yeah. Right. And the production's interesting. It all sounds very close mic'd, and I guess, did he record the vocal on the iPhone? He may have, it does have, have yeah. a... A kind of telephone filter kind of sound to it. So I'm not sure the entire deal. Supposedly this started on an iPhone and then they they did some additional overdubs and sweetening from there. So I don't know if that means he had a little sequencer and sang a vocal or I wish I had some more detail. But Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I just heard about Steven Soderbergh's movie Unsane being filmed on an iPhone 7 and it's funny, I saw the movie in didn't know that while I was watching it. Wow. So I read up on it later and wait, wait a minute. It uh, Then you realize, well, okay, there were a couple selfie-ish moments and a couple of fisheye things, but really overall looks pretty darn good. It's amazing what you can do these days, right? She tries to I love that line. It's like trying to catch the sun on the water. Mm-hmm. It's a good lyric. You have Toby Pittman again. He's playing keyboards on this track with Rusty on guitar. Now you're talking iPhone. I didn't mention this on Alligator, but it sounds to me like the beginning of Alligator. We go, okay, you know, and he kind of is playing the riff. That sounds mm-hmm. a bit like an iPhone demo too. I think the point is that he's experimenting with like new technology. track we have is Road, which officially closes the album. An Epworth track, kind of a drum and Moog jam session that turns out, as they say, sounding something by The Fall or Can. I can see that. Me too. It's more, I don't know, I don't really... Maybe it's a little bit of Fireman in a way coming back. It does feel like the Fireman. I like the build in the chorus. I can't see anymore the blinding light. It's just a metaphor I use when things aren't going right. Yeah. 
There is a real humor to a lot of these songs that I really appreciate. It's a, it feels a little inconclusive as an ending, but it certainly is a more conclusive ending than we've had for the last few albums. Absolutely. Except for the fact we have another hidden track, which is like, why are we still doing this? If, if this was just the end of the record, you'd be like, yep, that feels like a last song conclusion, the drama, the darkness. It's kind of like he writes, it's almost, I wonder if he knows, like, oh yeah, I need to write the last song on the album, and he does this, or how that works out in his mind, I'm not really sure. I don't know, he used to be really good at writing conclusive last tracks, things like 1985, and Through Our Love, and things like that, and seems, these recent albums, they just end with whatever track. Right. <laughs> they, okay, they kind of end with a jam, or, you know, some kind of anticlimactic thing yeah, i don't know i wish paul wrote a through our love or something like that again that'd be amazing i mean that's it for me on road do you have anything about scared or i always think of it as uh trying to let you know that's my personal title for it right reminds me a little bit of your school actually right but it's a beautiful little ballad. It's at the end of the original lp it's at the end of the cd too right that's the original right. cd I'm not sure why they hid it, actually. Why hide it? Yeah, I'm not really sure either. This is actually kind of a better ending. I guess it is the ending, but sort of a better ending than Road. And I love the fact that it's just a piano ballad, too. It's very intimate. I think the reason that I'm annoyed that he hides these songs is just because I want to, if I want to hear the song, I want to press play in that song. Yeah, I don't right. want to have it's... to, wait, where is that one? Oh, it's it's on... Whatever. And I got to fast forward to, ah, I went too far. And then by then I'm like, ah, I just don't even want to hear this anymore. So the producer, Martin, is like, this, this just has to be Paul on his own. He also says, like, when the hairs in the back of your neck stand up, you should just step back. So this is something that Ethan's dad actually said to Giles Martin. So now we know where Ethan got it. it right. And this is, it's Paul finding it hard to just say I love you to Nancy. Just almost as exactly as it happened. Maybe it was too emotional for him to just have as a track. Right, yeah. I like the directness of it. Some of these same lyrics and lines could be very bland, but there's something really direct and personal about this one. I'm scared to say I love you Afraid to let you know that the simplest of words won't come out of my mouth Though I'm dying to let them go Trying to let you know I have to say I'm sorry Don't feel sad for me A lot of these later McCartney piano bowed tracks are always some of more of my favorites. So an interesting fact is that almost 40 years after John Lennon wrote his Scared, Paul used the same title and phrase 
for a completely different purpose. Very different song, yeah. Very different. How about that line, but the beautiful birds won't fly out of their cage, though I'm trying to set them free. Great set of lyrics in this record with a lot of imagery in them. I think that's why I come back to this record as I do. And that's it. That's the album. Yeah, that really is the end of New. On the Deluxe and Collector's Editions, there's some bonus tracks. And so there's different track listings and things, and you can check those out if you're really interested. But we're kind of just looking at the pile of material here. I took a trip into the ocean. High emotion filled me with desire. I had to see what I was fighting. The captain by me to take it higher. Well, looking back, it didn't hurt me. It did something for my soul It taught me when you find a love Don't break it Try to make it whole I took a walk into the fire When I heard you calling me I took a chance And what a good thing It turned out to be It turned out Turned out is the first of those. This is a John's track with additional work by Martin. So it sounds like Ethan Johns and Giles Martin were talking as the executive producer he was. So Paul played the drums first, and, you know, he turned out this song, Turned Out, which is, to me, another wingsy rock song. If you don't mind some stormy weather This one's so much better than a lot of what's on side two of this Dude, album. Dude, me too. <laughs> I would replace Hosanna with this track in a heartbeat. Yeah, this is really cool. It's short and sweet. What is it? About three minutes. I always like it when people do a fun thing with a title like this. It turned out to be is the actual phrase in the song. And then he just calls it turned out. Yeah, me too. There's a little, you know, shadiness to a song called Turned Out initially, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. And you can Google that if you don't know what we're talking about. But like I said before, park the car first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is really good McCartney craftsmanship. And this is just another of a million examples we have of putting the B-side material on the album when some really good material should have been there. And this one's Ethan Johns, too, with a little extra work by Giles Martin. Seems that Ethan Johns really likes a somewhat acoustic sound, huh? Yes, absolutely. He goes for these more acoustic songs, yeah. Acoustic or, you know, more traditional instrumentation. Glad we have it, though. It's a fun one. I get a feeling when they call my name Feels like we're all involved in some kind of game Oh, boy Get me out of here Let me out of here Yeah 
So the next track is Get Me Out of Here, which, depending upon which version you have, may featured Scared is the hidden track. This is a Giles Martin production and features a skiffle washboard with thimbles and several other non-traditional instruments, some African instruments. Yeah, he actually got that instrument in Africa. Forget why he was there. <laughs> The Ngoni. It's sort of a bass drum slash upright bass combined. Right. So he pounds it on the floor and gets a nice kick drum kind of sound out of it. And then pulls the strings for a little bit of a... It's almost like a like blowing across the bottle kind of yeah. sound. Because it's not a precise pitch necessarily, but it gives you a little bass sound. Speaking of that, you have Anderson on the water bottle, playing the water bottle. And Abe on a djembe. I like this little song. Nothing else to say. Struggle. Struggle is a song that I struggle to remember, even after immediately hearing it. I, I don't know why. It just goes in and out, and it's gone. <laughs> yeah, I have the same problem with it. I remember it having a little bass line thing with like marimba and accordion or something like that. I forget what's on the track. I mean, it's pretty long for what it is, about almost five minutes. And for a repetitive song like that, five minutes is kind of a while. Some really strained vocals on that one, too. It's like a, in my estimation, like a bad McCartney 2 leftover. I could see the McCartney 2 connection. And that's there. an Epworth. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. Check it out if you, if you want. But then these next two, this is where it like perks up. I remember just, again, scrolling around on Spotify one day, being like, eh, I want to listen to a McCartney album collector's edition of new what is this and it was this small clutch of songs struggle hell to pay demons dance and then some live tracks and it's i mean i listen to struggle i'm like yep i definitely knew something like this is going to be on here but then hell to pay i think it's one hell of a little paul mccartney song it's another that you could replace any of the tracks with and i'd be totally fine with it First you take me to the limit, then expect me to stop You know I'm sick and tired of waiting for the penny to drop You make a living out of making people think 
It's a good song. It's got a lot of energy. It's got an interesting orchestral arrangement. The vocal is awesome. It's the Maccaban plus strings. Mm-hmm. Great piano playing. This is why we do this show. To turn <laughs> yeah, people on to stuff like this. Yeah, this is a really cool song. And it turns out it's been buried as a B-side, but we're getting, well, we're beyond getting used to it. We're quite accustomed to that now. Yeah, I've been inoculated to this syndrome. Some of his screams remind me of screams that sound like band on the run level screams. It's going to be hell. I can't even do it. Yeah. Well, this kind of high energy rock too. It always takes me back to mid seventies wings, you know? Yeah. I can't ask you to thrill me. That be asking too much. I can't ask you to fulfill my expectations that you gave me after we first touched. But, but the feeling that been building inside me is too hard to resist. I can't wait much longer till you tell me, baby, there's some chance we'll get together, maybe. Sooner or later, I'll be in with half a chair. So then the cousin to Hal to Pay is this little tune called Demon's Dance. Ethan Johns. It's got a jaunty little Lady Madonna thing. Yeah, I don't care for this. It, it reminds me of like Lunchbox Odd Socks with lyrics or something like that. Yeah. The goofy piano. It's and, goofy. Yeah. This makes sense yeah. why it's tucked away. But it's fun to hear him play around like this. Hmm. Make my Demon's Dance. It's a bit similar to Give My Alligator to. Right. Someone I can indulge my primitive side with or my my dark side with. The shadow self, right. So then there are four live cuts on the rest of the collector's edition disc. Save Us, New, Queenie Eye, and everybody out there. Yeah, they're just live cuts. Really good live cuts of those songs, if you're interested. From there... Secret Life of a Party Girl, which is a Mark Ronson unreleased track that he made mention of in an interview. So we don't have that. Maybe somebody has that out there. Anybody out there? <laughs> oh. I assume you all went, oh, when I said that. <laughs> sometimes a fantasy is all you need. Uh, sometimes. I mean, and that is really it for new tracks. So then, I mean, briefly, I think we have to talk about this. Nobody's actually asked us if we would, which I think is telling enough. 
But Paul has a collaboration with Kanye West, where he did the tracks only one, four, five seconds, and all day. And only one was the first of these it was released. It was released on New Year's Eve 2014. I remember when it dropped and where I was. And so on all these songs, Paul is, he's like a musician on the track. And you can hear him faintly mm-hmm. in the back, his like vocals, and they're pitched either up or down or whatever it is. And he, he doesn't really have any lead singing except for All Day, which we'll, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. I mean, Chris, are any of these stand out to you? Well, on All Day, they're quoting When the Wind is Blowing from Rupert the Bear, right? Yes. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> Well, yeah, Kanye came to Paul and was like, you got anything? And he was like, oh, I got this little thing, you know, the whole. Well, and dun, 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 dun. That part, too, is quoted at the beginning. Right. And it's like built into the track. Yeah. And then, I mean, all day, I mean, the, the wildest part of that is the, the thing they tucked all the way at the end. And his voice is so modulated, though. Well, 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 well. That wild little part that reminds me of Appreciate. And like, yeah, he's really going for it, this modern sound. You know, what's bizarre to me about these, maybe you know something about this, probably you do, that I don't, but when I was looking these songs up and researching them, I was coming across, like, I gave up entering all the songwriters in our spreadsheet, because, let's see, for four or five seconds, there's what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten songwriters, one of whom is Dave Longstreet. Yep. Well, what's going on with that? I mean, that's... That's modern music production. My favorite story of all this, and I told it to you earlier. But it's just a few chords. <laughs> it's just a few chords in a tune. It's How can mixing. It take 10 people? It's synthesizer programming. It's one guy writes this one line, one guy writes this other line, one guy does this one part. They bring a lot of people together to like make all these things up. Sometimes an engineer is credited if he does something creative on the track. Uh-huh. So I pulled this from the enemy. This is some, like some of my favorite stuff there is. This is Paul. With West, it was much more made up as we went along, so much that I didn't even realize that I was making songs. (laughs) We had two or three afternoons where we just hung out together in a Beverly Hills hotel in the bungalows out back. And he had his engineer and was set up with a couple of microphones in case anything happened. I was tootling. That's what Paul said. I was tootling around on guitar. And Kanye spent a lot of time just looking at pictures of Kim Kardashian on his computer. And I'm thinking, are we ever going to get around to writing? But it turns out he was writing. That's his muse. He was listening to this riff I was doing, and he obviously knew in his mind that he could use that. So he took it, sped it up, and then somehow he got Rihanna to sing on it. And then Paul, Paul spins it. He goes, she's a big favorite of mine anyway. So that just came about without me lifting a finger. All right. So they're just recording Paul. They're getting creative material out of him to retrack and recut and re do whatever they do in the studio. Yeah. And that's Kanye's process. Looking at pictures of Kim Kardashian, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then you have that amazing performance of them doing the song. I think it was at the Grammys the year after. And even the artwork. We're like, it's Paul and Rihanna and Kanye, and you had the whole controversy. Who is Paul McCartney? I don't know if you remember that, where like the whole internet exploded. Mm-hmm. Because yes, like, I do remember. Well, Kanye is really turning on this guy, Paul McCartney. He's really putting him on, <laughs> giving him a platform. Yeah. 
So, I mean, these are out there. They're there for you to check out. I actually was working with Ty Dolla Sign at the time, and I remember how hush-hush it was. I didn't meet Paul or anything, but how hush-hush it was. And Ty actually accidentally leaked in an interview that he had worked on that four or five seconds with Paul. And maybe it's worth it to note that Paul actually plays four or five seconds in concert now. Does he? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. He'll do the whole thing, all the all the lyrics, every line. Maybe we should just play some of that. Okay, we're going to play you now the newest song that we play in our set. This one's from last year. And if you want to join in, there's words on the screen, okay? So yeah, there's old man Paul. Yeah, I think I've had enough. I might get a little drunk. <laughs> I say what's on my mind. I might do a little time. And the best part about that is, is I think out of the three of them, Paul's the only one that's actually done time. Paul was in mm. jail. <laughs> oh know? yeah. Then I heard you was talking trash. Like to hear Paul say that, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it became McCartney's highest charting single since 1986. Spies Like Us. Spies Like Us reached number seven on the chart. I mean, this is a long time between getting back into like the top 10, but Paul's back in the top 10. Like he, you know, he did it. And I think that's, I think that's the most amazing part about this is that Paul still found a way to be relevant. And I think it's a fun song. I, I like the song. I don't like the other two, but I like this one a lot. Okay. So that wraps up all the material. Do we have some press? Press. So in December of that year that this thing came out, Rolling Stone ranked new as the fourth best album. That would have been in 2013. Helen Brown of the Daily Telegraph noted McCartney's, quotes, fresh attitude compared with the more introspective memory almost full, and added that, Though they're produced by men young enough to be his sons, these 12 songs are vintage Macca. In another five-star review, the Daily Mail's Adrian Thrills, what a great name, admired McCartney's refusal to rest on his laurels and described the album as a touching, witty, and accomplished return, adding, Tuneful and poppy, but with an intuitive rock and roll edge, new casts a wistful eye towards Macca's illustrious past but is far too vibrant and inventive to degenerate into pastiche. Writing for The Enemy, Barry Nicholson considered the album to be McCartney's most enjoyable record in years. And contrary to the... Since... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And contrary to the title, the sound of an old dog having fun with some old tricks. 
And he also, like we did, highlighted New and Alligator and remarked a bit of Beatles influence on early days. But he found that song marred by McCartney's long-standing preoccupation with ensuring everybody knows he was John Lennon's equal. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. So to that point, Stephen Thomas Airline says, but that unwillingness to accept his role in the history books also gives New its nerve, letting McCartney create music that is thoroughly within his lineage but cleverly modern, eschewing nostalgia for a vibrant present. That's why New is one of the best of McCartney's latter-day records. It is aware of his legacy, but not beholden to it, even as it builds upon it. And that's it. So this album, charts-wise, it was top 10 in a lot of places. Norway, Japan, Canada, UK. You know, it was number three in, on the Billboard 200. Italy, all these charts, you can, you can check them out online, but in like a lot of places. And it sold only 217,000 copies in the U.S. So this is, we were definitely in a streaming era at this point. So it's not even certified. But in Japan and Poland, it went gold. This album charted. It was a success. It means big touring business for Paul, but are people necessarily going to see Paul McCartney to hear songs from new, or do they just want to hear Can't Buy Me Love again? They want to hear Hey Jude and Let It Be. Did you see that Onion article where it's like, an unhinged Paul McCartney goes into eight hours of (laughs) na-na-na? I did see that. That really cracked me up. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's a fun record. I I think I like Chaos and Creation and Memory Almost Full more than this one. Yeah, me too. I'm not going to compare this to anything before Driving Rain. I just don't think that makes sense. Same here. It's craftsmanship quality music from Paul McCartney. Yeah, it reminds me, as I said, of some of his more, some of his slicker stuff. I think of flowers or off the ground, maybe even Flaming Pie a little bit. Although Flaming Pie is a lot homier, you know. Oh yeah, much, much homier for sure. But I I do think this is, uh, this is a, a step down from the previous two albums. Okay. And I don't yet know where it stands in relation to Egypt Station. I'm still thinking about it. We're definitely still thinking about it, and we'll have that for y'all very soon. Probably later than sooner, but soon enough. All right. So, as always, we'll go out with a little preview of our next episode. Thank you for listening. great to be back in town anyway. All right, well, gonna have a good night tonight.
Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady. Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast is powered by Pippa.